Welcome everyone back to Zevo Talks. Uh, today I'm discussing navigating a typical journey of a content moderator. I am your host, Dr. Michelle Teo, the clinical director at Zevo Health, and my guest today is Shauna Farrell, who is our clinical program lead at Zevo Health. She has been with us for two years and she leads out our digital therapy program and has also previously worked as a well-being specialist with Zevo on the front line delivering well-being interventions to content moderation teams. So you're very welcome, Shauna. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. So I suppose if we're talking about the sort of typical journey of a content moderator, there's various different stages that they go through in terms of their employment journey. And the first piece, I guess, is the onboarding. So would you maybe just share with our audience what kind of onboarding might look like for a content moderator and how some of our interventions take place during that stage? Yeah, sure, sure. So I suppose, you know, it depends. Various roles have different forms of onboarding, and I suppose they're they're ex- they're exposed to different forms of content, right? So some of them, it might mm. be quite visual, video, some of them, it might be more text or audio. Um, yeah. But I suppose the, the onboarding process really is to help them to to get to know more about the role and the expectations of the role, the kind of content that they they might be seeing. Mm. And for a lot of them, it's their first time in in a role like this, right? So some of them might be coming from different companies and they might be have experience as content moderators before, but there are a lot of them who have never who've never done this this job before. Or for some of them it might be their first kind of adult job as well. So there's Mm. the normal things that come with that I think the kind of stress or or excitement even of you know starting a new job and having this yeah. this role in in a big company right a lot of them are big tech companies and that can be exciting for people as well to be to be working in those companies um but it's also a very specific role as you know yourself it's it's different yeah. to things that they may have done before and even though it's a role that can bring a lot of, of fulfillment because you're you're keeping, I suppose, people safe and you're taking that stuff down from the internet that we don't want the public seeing, that also has a difficult side too. So it's getting the balance of, I suppose, onboarding them to, to know what the role is going to look like and also letting them know that there might be that exposure to the more difficult content or there might be things that they see that might be graphic or, or hard mm. for them to see as well. And so the onboarding is definitely processes, but also I know from our side, it's really important in the onboarding that they also have the the well-being stuff really early on so that yeah. they're aware of, OK, how might I be affected in this role? What are the kind of typical stressors that I might face? What are some of the things maybe more specific to content that might come up for me? And how do I get support for that, but also what are the things that I can be doing to to look after myself as I go through the onboarding and as I start this this job role? Um, so I suppose. Yeah. Was, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, like, I think the the big piece around onboarding, from my experience anyway, and like you're saying, is that there there's just so many different parts of it. So there's the mm. actual processes in relation to like, how do I do my job? What is it that I'm meant to do? But then there's also the kind of psychological aspect of it where they're coming into a role that they've maybe never done before, or that they've had like little experience with, or that it's maybe just a different system and process that they're using if they're coming from a company where they yeah. previously used to do content moderation. And so it's trying to navigate all of that and then understanding, mm. well, how could this potentially impact my mental health? How could this yeah 
make me feel a certain way or will I respond a certain way if I see a different type of content that I'm not used to seeing before. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a lot of different moving parts. And and I think for most people, the onboarding is quite a long process as well. Like it's mm. maybe four weeks or six weeks and they have little exams and things like that just to make sure their their knowledge is okay or do they need more support. So it's yeah. probably more intense than a, a regular, let's call it onboarding for a different <laughs> job. Um, so that comes with its own, again, good parts and also difficulties as well. Um, so I think for us, it's it's getting that support in really early, right, for them mm. that they know that well-being exists. Because I think for well, everyone we work with, uh, thankfully, they provide that well-being service for their content moderators, yeah. for their trust and safety employees, so they get extra mental health support. But also, you know, for some of our sites, we'll offer things like mindfulness drop-ins or like mm. peer supports, um, creative interventions. So it's just getting to them really early on to say, look, these are the things that might affect your mental health early on. And yeah. here are the ways that you can access support, um, which I think is really important just for them to feel very early on that they are going to be supported through this journey and that they can access that support straight away. Or if they don't feel they need it straight away, maybe it'll be after a couple of months once they've kind of embedded themselves in the role a little bit more. Yeah, and, and I suppose like the the purpose of us getting in there really early with most of our customers is really that 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 sense of trying to embed a culture of well-being as mm. part of their job. You know, it's not yeah. just their job to look at policies and make decisions based on those policies to keep platform users safe. It's also mm. taking care of themselves so that they can do their job sure. well. Yeah, exactly. It's that's such a good point that they need to have that work life balance, that ability to switch off after work, mm. because I think as well, it's the kind of job where it's less flexible when it comes to hours and things like that, because they need yeah. coverage for, you know, all hours of the day and night. And they mm -hmm. need to make sure that content is being removed when it needs to be. So they probably have less of an ability to have flexible work hours in some cases. So it's super important then that after their work time, they're taking that time to switch off, maybe switch off from the news or content and things like that because yeah. they're seeing it all the time. And I know as well for us, for a lot of companies that we work with, you know, we do those modules of, during their onboarding. So we'll do like mm. every week, we'll give them two hours of like building resilience or self-care or just those kind of introductory level, I suppose, mental health related topics mm -hmm. to start to give them a feel for these. This is the way that you can look after yourselves or these are the yeah. evidence based tools and techniques that will help you during this process. But then you can also carry those through this job and, and continue to to use them so I think that's really important for us to be there for them from the beginning to give them the oversight give them the tools and techniques that they can then carry through and, and hopefully continue to to use as they go through their their journey yeah so I guess then the next stage is them sort of finishing their onboarding and kind of ramping up into the role so yeah. from your perspective what does that kind of look like yeah, so I suppose that 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 stage is again can be tricky for them. They're starting to maybe see actual content, whereas onboarding mm. is they'll give them examples, right? But then as soon as they are in their specific role, it depends on the role, right? Some of them will be seeing more graphic content than others. Like some people might be yeah. working more with spam, some people might be working with things like you know, war zones and things like that. So it just really just depends on on what you're working on. But 
there's that element where definitely they're starting to see more content and sometimes that mm. content can be can be difficult and obviously that's that's tricky but also what we know as well is that quality is really important in in trust and safety and content moderation and this is something that I learned when I started working with content moderators I think the assumption is the job is difficult because of the content, which can be true, but also they have to make sure that they are meeting pretty hard targets when it comes to mm. taking the right things down off the internet and doing it quickly and making sure they're aligning with company policies. So there's other stressors, I think, and it takes time to get used to what are the policies? Where do I find the policies? Am I looking at the right yeah. policies? So I think the the kind of ramping up or the, the beginning of their journey, it's just getting on top of a lot of different bits and pieces, as well as starting to look at the content. It's understanding all the policies and processes and and that I'm sure can also be, you know, it's it's it can be tricky <laughs> when you're starting a new job and you have all this kind of stuff in your mind to try to get on top of as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think um, that's that's one of the pieces that I think we talk about a lot is that it's not just content that's potentially going to impact people and potentially going to cause that sense of stress or anxiety or, you know, sometimes a bit of fear or anger or whatever else it is, right? There's all of the work-related factors outside of content that also have an impact and things like your performance targets are going yeah. to be like hugely stressful and and mm -hmm. anyone even outside of trust and safety would understand that you know like from yeah beginning of the year you know we're looking at performance reviews so regardless of what kind of role you're in you're going to be sitting down in a performance review it's just that the the targets i suppose for content moderators are very different than they would be in a general sort of corporate setting right yeah 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 and i think their performance tends to be monitored quite closely just because they need to make sure that they are definitely taking down the things that need to be taken down, right? So it's, yeah. it's probably a role where you are monitored a little bit more closely, not necessarily because you're not trusted, it's just because of the role itself. That's just kind of a, mm. the way it has to be done so that they can make sure as a company that they're meeting, you know, guidelines and they're keeping people safe and things like that. Yeah. So that can cause that bit of stress, especially if it's a new role or if it's not something you're used to. like any way monitoring performance or as you said performance reviews can be anxiety provoking right so mm. that's something to maybe just start to get used to that maybe I have targets I have a certain amount of pieces of content I have to look at every day I have to hit this yeah. kind of score so that's a little bit of of getting used to and I suppose from from our end it's it's important there I know for some places a lot of companies we do the kind of six month check-in so that's a yeah. chance for us to check in with them after six months they've done their onboarding they've had a chance to kind of familiarize themselves a little bit more with the role but they're still learning right even though it, mm. at six months in this job you probably have had quite a lot of experience you are <laughs> yeah. still learning right because it's 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 a high-paced role but that's really helpful for us to check in. How are you? Is there anything else we can be doing to support you? And maybe mm. catching people who haven't already reached out to us, right? Because they can all yeah. book one-to-ones from their onboarding. But sometimes it's, it helps us when we have that six-month check-in to just catch people who maybe do need a little bit of, of extra support and, and just generally check in with how they're finding things and, and help mm. them to keep like building that resilience that they, they really do need. Yeah. I wonder even just from your experience, um, you know, working with content moderation teams, have you found particularly that those six month check ins have been helpful for people or do do people not really want to engage with them? Um, you know, what's what's maybe the general sentiment about us reaching out to people and saying, how are you doing six months into the job? 
Yeah, I think generally I find people appreciate it. I mean, there's always going to be people who maybe, you know, feel they maybe don't need that support and that's that's totally fine. But the general sentiment I find is people appreciate it. They're very appreciative that they're in a in a job where their well-being is actually considered, right? And that we mm. want to know if they're okay and even for people who come and they are okay, I think they just appreciate being being checked in on or knowing that they mm. have a place to go. But also there are often people who think, you know, I've been meaning to book an appointment or I've been thinking about booking a one-to-one, but I haven't got around to it. Yeah. Or, you know, there can be various things that get in the way of people asking for help. So I do find it it's a good place for us to get in touch with people who need a bit of support, who for whatever reason haven't been able to to ask for that themselves. Mm. And I guess like um, the six month check ins and the kind of one to ones aren't the only way that we reach out to people within that yeah. kind of ramp up period. Right. So they, there's a lot of group interventions that we yes. be providing. There's drop in options. There's mm-hmm. options where we encourage people like very strongly to attend like peer yeah. support sessions. So in terms of those types of sessions, um, what do you feel the general sentiment is when people are sort of still getting used to how things work in this job? Yeah, yeah. And I think exactly you're right. We obviously have a lot of different ways to reach out to people so that it suits different needs or or different personalities and things like that. But again, I, I think they it is appreciated the peer support in particular. It helps them to come. It's like a safe space for them to share difficulties that they've been having. And it's mm-hmm. with their whole team. So in the team, some people are going to be more experienced. Some people are going to be less experienced. And I think they can yeah. learn from each other as well. On like, you know, if someone's maybe struggling a little bit, someone else on their team might be able to share, well, these are the things that have helped me or actually this does mm. get easier over time. So, yeah, in general, I think they they are appreciated. And I think it helps people to to also figure out that there is more than one way to get support, right? Because sometimes those yeah. peer group supports might be a game and it might be that they're getting a bit of relief. They're having fun together, they're team bonding, mm. they're feeling supported in in that way. Um, and I think, again, because their jobs can be quite stressful and there can be that difficult content, it's just really important for them to know they have space to step away from that um, yeah. during the work week. Yeah, and I guess like for... For maybe some content moderators who are moving between companies, you know, the the ramp up period maybe isn't as challenging for people who are completely new to content moderation Mm -hmm. and just sort of fell into this kind of trust and safety role as is pretty typical in the industry. You know, people just kind of fall into it. But um, like the I think one of the biggest pieces that I found was that even that understanding of what mental health looks like and you know what is vicarious traumatization Mm -hmm. or what is secondary traumatic stress or even like at the basic level what's anxiety Mm -hmm. Uh, you know there's a lot of people I think who could benefit from even just us coming in every so often and saying well this is the evidence base behind anxiety this Mm -hmm. is where it maybe comes from this is what it looks like in your body and how it feels in your body allowing them the space to just learn from us and then also like you're saying learn from their peers and people who've been in the role a little bit longer especially during that ramp up period I think is really important yeah yeah super important and as you said it's like I think when you work in mental health you you know we're surrounded by it we talk about it all the time Mm. but as you said there's there's still a lot of 
lack of awareness around what anxiety yeah. feels like or things like vicarious trauma, which is super important to be, av- be aware of in, in trust and safety. And I'm sure we'll we'll touch on that as well. But I think exactly it can be that psychoeducation for people just so they're they're having the awareness of how things might affect them because mm. you might even get someone in a one-to-one session or a check-in session and and they think they're okay but when you start to get into some of the things that they've experienced or some of the mm. the signs that they have you're thinking oh maybe that could actually be signs of anxiety or maybe this could be signs of stress and it's only when they start to maybe talk about these things or hear from yeah. other people that they realize that that's actually what they're they're struggling with and that can be quite validating for people as well to know what they're experiencing you know Mm. they're not alone and that they don't have to to go through it alone that there is support for them there um to to support them through any difficulties they might be having our approach is holistic providing services to the organization the wider trust and safety team and individual content moderators from one-to-one digital and in-person therapy to crisis management and group interventions we ensure every step of a moderator's career journey is supported. But Zebo's impact stretches beyond individual care. We provide comprehensive organizational solutions, aligning with regulatory demands for compliance assurance, enhancing operational efficiency for performance optimization, and proactively supporting brand integrity. We want to ensure that content moderators across diverse industries, from social media platforms to streaming services to gaming, are flourishing. Discover our solutions today. Dive into our world of proactive wellbeing solutions. Visit SiboHealth.com or click the link in this podcast description and join us in leading a new era of content moderator wellbeing. I suppose maybe this is now a good time to just even touch on vicarious trauma because um, sure. it's it's one of the the risks that come with being a content moderator and working yeah. in these trust and safety roles. Um, yeah. So maybe even if you just give an overview of what vicarious trauma is and also yeah. like if we're thinking about the typical journey of a content moderator, like when does vicarious trauma potentially show up? Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a good way to bring us into like the continuation of that journey. Right. And I think so. Vicarious trauma, just to say first, is something that you can experience. It's basically a secondary exposure to trauma. So Mm. policemen, therapists, fire people, police people, I should say, um, <laughs> and um, like content moderators, you know, they're people who aren't necessarily experiencing a traumatic event firsthand. So let's take something like an earthquake. They might not mm-hmm. have been there when the earthquake happens, but if you're looking at a lot of content of an earthquake or a war zone or whatever it might be, mm. you can become traumatized through the secondary impact of that content. So even though it hasn't happened to you because you're seeing it over and over again, or because maybe that piece of content is quite graphic and quite shocking, it can have the same impact on you as post-traumatic stress would have on a person who was actually in that situation. So because content moderators have exposure to graphic content, they are at higher risk of developing that vicarious trauma. So symptoms Mm. like those quite physical symptoms in your body 
or, you know, your change in worldview, change how you see the world, Mm -hmm. having nightmares, having flashbacks, being very hypervigilant. So things like that, they're all signs of vicarious trauma. It's not a guarantee that you're going to get that as a content moderator, but you can just be a little bit more at risk, as I mentioned in various roles like the the police or therapy and things like that. You can Mm. be at a little bit higher risk of that. Um, so that's just kind of an overview. And I think, look, to, to say you can get this at any stage, right? If a new person yeah. sees something super graphic, potentially there will be a trauma there. They might have those symptoms of vicarious trauma. But I think what we tend to see is the more experienced moderators who have seen quite a lot of content may be more likely that those symptoms of vicarious trauma can come up and it might be that they're not even really aware that that's what it is they're like Mm. oh I'm having feeling more tense in my body or I'm having nightmares or I saw you know a few pieces of content at this point but it's it kind of solidifies and over time sometimes that means there can be more likely that they experience that so I think it's helpful for everyone to be aware of the signs and symptoms of vicarious trauma, mm. but also for us as clinicians to be looking out for that in sessions just yeah. to make sure we're not missing it. And especially with people who are more tenured, they might say, oh, well, at this stage, I'm not really affected by the content because I've seen mm. so much of it, which can happen because we build our resilience to content and things like that. But also it may be that it is affecting them and they're just not picking up on some of those those signs and symptoms that might be there. Yeah, and I think like one of the the big pieces when I think about vicarious trauma is that, you know, it could be anything at any stage mm-hmm. that triggers some sort of response. And particularly yeah. in the world of trust and safety, things change so quickly, right? Yeah. So yeah. we know... Like recently, it's like Israel Hamas, which is the kind of biggest, um, you know, stressor in a lot of the the companies that we're supporting. Or it was like the Ukraine-Russia war or, Mm -hmm. you know, a few years ago with like the New Zealand shooting that would have impacted people quite a lot. Right. So because the, the world changes so quickly and these events occur so quickly, there, there can be that element of shock when all of a sudden there's this flood of content coming into the workflows like content moderators are required to just all of a sudden try and take down as much content as possible that could be harming the users and then it could be that trigger Mm -hmm. that goes Mm -hmm. okay this is now all of a sudden I'm starting to have flashbacks and nightmares and then maybe it's recalling something from like two years ago Mm -hmm. when I first started as a content moderator which didn't impact me then yes yeah exactly yeah, exactly. And as you said, when we get those huge changes like the kind of the the war in Gaza, it's, you know, they're seeing a lot of the same content or similar images mm. or similar videos. And again, that's probably more likely than to cause something like vicarious trauma because you're being re-exposed yeah. over and over again. Um, so exactly, it can, it can happen at any point. It can depend on your own past situation. It can depend on content you've seen before. It can depend on how resilient you are in that moment. If, you're, if your mental mm. health is a bit lower, if you're struggling a little bit, that can, can be a risk factor as well. Um, so yeah, it's something that we really do need to be aware of. And I think something that can happen at any stage, but I would definitely be on the lookout for it with people who mm. have been there longer too, um, because, you know, obviously the more exposure you have, potentially the more likely you are to develop something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
And so if we if we're looking at sort of like more tenured employees or uh, maybe they're not even tenured yet, like, you know, there, there's various definitions of what's considered a tenured content moderator yeah, within different yeah. companies. Right. But if we're looking at people who are maybe past that sort of six month point, they're maybe coming into like a year, a year and a half into the role. Yeah. Are there particular challenges that you think um may sort of show up at that stage before they're kind of maybe three or four years into a role. Yeah, like, I mean, again, there there are positives there in that people are probably a bit more used to the content. They know the policies. Mm. They can be a bit quicker. They can support other people, things like that. But definitely things for us to be looking out for in, in that stage is like a little bit of the the desensitization which is like mm. you know not really feeling anything towards the content and that can sometimes be a bit of you know uh, something for us to be mindful of of course you're going to naturally have less of a response to content because yeah. you are getting used to it you're building your resilience but I think there's a difference between that and then maybe feeling completely numb to content and that's yeah. when we just want to be aware and check in there what's happening is it that maybe we are actually effective and we're kind of effective and we're kind of turning off our emotional response mm. as a coping mechanism or is it that that resilience is building so I think that's one thing to, for us to be to be mindful of because that can also cause things like vicarious trauma if we're not deep Dealing yeah. with the emotions if we're not processing the, the the content that we're looking at um but the also the other thing can sometimes be again that change in in worldview so if I'm working let's mm. say very much in in child related content which we know for a lot of people is very difficult or even yeah. animal animal harm for a lot of people can be difficult and I might become more scared than around children or animals or that something bad is going to happen to them so mm. it's just being mindful of of the things like that the longer you're in a job especially if you haven't moved around maybe if you're in the same area if you've been working in the same area for a long time yeah. just being mindful of, of how that might be impacting you um, and it won't impact everyone like if you've got good coping mechanisms yeah. if you've got good support um, you know often people are are okay and they can cope well but it's just to be aware of some of those things that can affect you the further along you are in that journey as well. Yeah and I, I think you make a really important point there it's that you know, not every content moderator is going to be severely impacted by the job that they're doing, even if they decide to leave at some point, right? Like yeah. there are various individual factors that yeah. determine whether or not someone is potentially going to be impacted, or there's various like life events that could happen. Yeah. If I am a content moderator and I've just gone through like a particularly difficult relationship breakup, then I'm potentially more vulnerable. And so like, I guess in the world of mental health, we call it like protective and risk factors. Yeah. So everybody has certain protective factors. Everybody has certain risk factors. And the ideal situation is that your protective factors outweigh your risk factors, but that yeah. imbalance can come at any point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think it's really important for them to be aware if they're going through a difficult stage personally, that's also really important for them to know they can reach out for support, right? Because mm. yes, we want to support them specifically with the job, but we also just want to generally support their mental health so that they're more resilient yeah. to do this job, right? And I think that's really important for them to know at any stage during their their journey or their their career, I suppose, as a content moderator, that we are there to support them and that it's so important for them to have mental health and well-being support so that they can do their job mm. and that we can minimize the likelihood of this job negatively impacting them.
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then I guess like towards the maybe tenured employees or, or more tenured content moderators, things like um, like you've mentioned already, like potentially becoming desensitized to the content can be challenging and vicarious trauma can kind of show up at any time. Um, but one thing I always think of is also like career progression, you know, mm. for for a lot of people who come into trust and safety and come in as like a content moderator, they don't necessarily think of it as a career, but mm. it is, there is a career path that goes yeah. with um, like entering the world of trust and safety. And yeah. there's, there have been a lot of conversations that I've had with content moderators where they want to become like a coach or a quality mm. analyst or yeah. move into the L and D team or even become like a team leader or yeah. an ops manager. So at what stage do you maybe start seeing people think about it as a career and think about kind of progressing forward? Yeah, I think it's a really good point because, you know, when they're in the job, let's say a year, year and a half, two years, they have a lot of expertise, right? They really mm. have been, as you called it earlier, on the front line. And it's like, for me, example, you know, when you work as a clinician and then you move into more of a lead role, it's so helpful to have that frontline experience and have the experience yeah. working content because you can really understand what that's like and you can really understand how it might affect people and the policies and mm. all of those things. So I think it depends. Obviously, look, person to person, everyone's different. Some people maybe after six months are thinking, right, I want to move up. And that's their kind of yeah. motivation there. But I think for most people, it's definitely more the year and a half, two years we see the people go and maybe for more more team lead roles or mm. moving into maybe slightly different departments that's still trust and safety but maybe they have an interest in training as you mentioned there or maybe mm. they have an interest in in different areas so I think again it can be really helpful for for us and for the companies to support them to know that as you said this is a career it's worth investing in and that mm. there are avenues for them to make it maybe make a change or move into different departments or move upward right and and yeah. to really know that they're valued and that their experience and their expertise is is valued and, and even for us from the from the well-being perspective that you know to have that that input from them on what they need for mm. their well-being or what they think is important um for their journey as, as a content moderator but definitely I think around that year and a half two year mark we see more people wanting to potentially move into more senior roles and, and progress that career as well. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder, like, even for our audience, like, uh, who maybe isn't really aware, like, are there different supports that a team lead would need or uh, mm. someone who works in policy versus someone yeah. who's a content moderator? Yeah, yeah. And for sure, I think, again, we we would hope to cater to that, right? So we would have specific support for managers, let's say, because they mm. might have to do a lot of if we go back to performance reviews because performance is is monitored in these these roles because yeah. it has to be every manager in every job obviously has to look at performance but probably in in trust and safety it's a little bit more and that can be stressful too if you have 20 or 30 people who you have to look at performance you have to feedback mm. you maybe have to have difficult conversations you have to support them to maybe improve their numbers like that's that can be difficult and, and a little bit stressful for people so for sure we it's important to have support for manager groups or for whatever their specific role is in trust and safety mm. we do focus on content moderators a lot because they are looking at content but yeah, other roles can still have stressors from working in this this industry, and it's really important for them to have their their well being supported as well. And for us as mental health professionals to support the things that might come up for them and that they might need to be able to support themselves mm -hmm. and their teams as well. Yeah. 
So I guess like, you know, the the last stage of any kind of career journey is sort of leaving an organization or leaving a company. Um, So, you know, it's 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 one of those pieces that I think people either leave trust and safety because um, they've managed to find another opportunity that they think um, is going to suit them better or, you know, because a lot of these content moderators maybe come from different countries, they're mm-hmm. they're maybe doing like school on the side and they found another career path for themselves. Um, but in terms of even just that offboarding process and for any of those leavers who are who are exiting the the trust and safety industry, what kind of supports do you feel should be in place for them? Yeah, it's a really it's a really good question. And I think, as you said, there's lots of different reasons why people leave. Some people still are working in trust and safety and they might just be mm. moving into another role. For some people, they found a different career. It, it very much depends on the situation. But what we're seeing more of now, which I think is super helpful, is companies offering post-employment care. So even yeah. if they're leaving, let's say, a company, they offer them six months where they can still access one-to-one support with a clinician just so that they can, I suppose, get support for any lingering difficulties maybe if there have Mm. been signs of vicarious trauma to close off a piece of work maybe that they've been doing you know depending on the reason that they've left it might be to help them to manage anxiety or stress around Mm. a new career or leaving this career behind so I think particularly for this role an option to have continued care for a number of months after they've left the company Mm. is really helpful and can really support their well-being moving forward whether that's to a different trust and safety role or whether that's out of trust and safety altogether I mean people change roles all the time but I think just given that that there can be more difficulties especially working as a content moderator I think having that continuation of care to a certain point is really helpful for their mental health and well-being and just making sure that they're they're looked after really mm. and I think um you know that that's sort of our perspective on things that it would kind of be best practice to make sure that anyone who's leaving the organization continues to to still have access because like you're saying there could be lingering effects um but also that like there's there's things like delayed onset of symptoms right yes. um yeah. it might not just be lingering feelings it might be that it's only kind of four or five months after mm. they've left the role that they realize that they're actually being impacted by something that they saw when they were in the yeah. role yeah which is and that's a really good point because we often even notice if people as you mentioned a lot of people can be from different places and sometimes they might take mm. three or four weeks off to go home and it's only when they're not in the the work environment that they notice some of those signs and symptoms because I think yeah. when you're switched on when you're in that maybe fight or flight response when you're working hard when you're just sat at your desk getting through your content sometimes you don't actually realize that you're maybe being affected by things Mm. it can be when you take a breather take a break that you start to realize oh maybe I'm actually having some symptoms of anxiety or having some nightmares or noticing those things again this doesn't happen to everyone but I think the fact that if you have that post-employment care when they've had a chance to maybe come out of the role if that's what they're doing we can Mm. then see if any of those those signs and symptoms are coming up for them and, and help to support them with it as well yeah Maybe more of a, a personal opinion that I'm asking of you, but do you mm. think all companies should be offering post-employment care? I mean, yes, as a, a psychologist <laughs> and, uh, you know, a clinician, yes, I think it's a, an excellent thing to to do. And I think, yes, yes would be my short answer to that. Um, yes. 
<laughs> no, fair enough. Look, I know that there's always like things like budget to consider. And also like a lot of these companies are, are employing thousands of content moderators. Exactly. Exactly. So if you have a lot of turnover within a company, that's a lot of people that you're you're offering support yeah, to, which yeah. I can totally understand that there's red tape and bureaucratic pieces that go around with that. But I, yeah, I, I just always think, you know, it's, it's worth us considering what's best practice and seeing yeah. what's reasonable around like finances or what's reasonable yeah. around like operational processes that can make that happen for people in, in the best way possible without trying to kind of force anyone to attend anything or force anyone into anything that they don't want to do. Yeah, and that's it. And that's the other thing to say, like all of this is is optional, right? In the sense that we mm. have a lot of support. We have one-to-ones, we have peer group support, we have trainings. And of course, we try to encourage people to attend as much as we can because we know that they're going to be helpful. But at the end of the day, we also want people there because they want to be there or they feel it's yeah. going to be helpful for them. And that's the same with post-employment care. Not everybody is going to use it. But even if we catch a few people who need it, I think that's mm. that's really great. And just to have the option there, um, I think is is essential for people. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, I suppose that that finishes off the journey of a typical content moderator. Um, maybe just on a final note, I might ask you if there are any content moderators kind of listening in, are there any tips that you could provide them on on how to sort of navigate their journey? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think, look, obviously they like, I think, okay, a few things that I would say is, <laughs> Don't be afraid to ask for help and support if you need it, mm. whether that is from your well-being team or from your own team around you. Like there's going to be people that you're working with who have expertise, who have been yeah. through the things that you've been through, who have ways that they cope that might be helpful for you as well. So they are a great support if you can get that support from your team. But but don't be afraid to reach out to us as well, being specialists. Even if you're not really sure what we do, if you're not really sure mm. what the sessions entail, you can always come along and just find out and see if it's going to be helpful for you. I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is just have that kind of compassion for yourself that sometimes this can be difficult, right? If you're looking at mm. graphic content, that is not easy. So just have that compassion for yourself that it can be hard and take the time that you need to deal with the content that's coming up and deal yeah. with the feelings or maybe the 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 symptoms the the bodily symptoms you might be having give yourself a chance to deal with that and yeah just look after yourself in this role mm. you know rely on people have that support network for yourself and switch off for sure I think you yeah. know you're you're on all the time during this role so making sure you have time to switch off afterwards is super super important um yeah that's kind of what I, I would say I think <laughs> amazing and I think even just to add um on a final note from that switching off point you know content moderators spend all day staring at their computers looking at internet content so if switching off means that you don't look at your phone for an hour after you finished work so that you have that little bit of breathing space away from whatever's on the internet or whatever yeah. is online like going for a walk out in nature, um, yeah. you know, if the weather's poor, like going to the gym, whatever mm. it is, um, even just like sitting and doing like a mindfulness meditation or like reading yeah. a book, uh, yeah. you know, like writing in a journal, things like mm. that, like anything to kind of take you away from a screen, yeah. I think is a nice way to kind of end your day so that you don't feel like you're just connecting from work straight into like another kind of screen that's at home. 
Exactly. And I think it can sound cliche, those things like, you know, walk in nature and journal, but mm-hmm. they're the things that actually really do help. And as you said, it's that piece of taking time away from the content and doing things outside of yeah. that to look after yourself will actually make it easier for you to manage when you're in the content, when you're in work and you're having mm. to do that. So, yeah, definitely switching off by doing other things is is really important. Amazing. Well, listen, Shauna, thank you so much for joining me as a guest today. It was a great conversation. And I'm sure there's going to be loads of people who get loads out of it. Thanks, Michelle. It's been a pleasure. Great. Uh, to anyone listening, thank you very much for joining Zebo Talks today. Um, and keep an eye on our socials for the next episode. Thank you very much.